Good morning. It's Thursday, the 22nd of June, and I'm Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top reports of the day. Elon Musk is great badge value, but what do we really get with the Tesla in India? A rocking party which ended in India buying some 1000 planes in 2 days and a little more has ended. What comes next? Indian stock markets hit lifetime highs. What happens when you're at the peak and the view starts to get a little hazy? And some sad news. Amul creator Sylvester Dacuna passes away. This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. Tesla, here I come. Sometime between May and December 1996, a little-known Korean car company called Hyundai incorporated and then began building a manufacturing plant in Irangukuttai near Chennai in Tamil Nadu. The first model was called Santro and was showcased at the Delhi Auto Expo in 1998 and launched in September the same year. It looked odd to say the least with its tall boy design with a high roof line. This meant that you could get in very easily and get out. The only hitch was that the design was almost bizarre. The first time I got hold of one for a test drive, people used to stop and well, laugh on the road. I am not joking. Shahrukh Khan was the brand ambassador and that made the proposition a little friendlier and perhaps less laughable. At 2.99 lakh rupees and a 999 cc engine, it was soon flying off the dealerships and ran in various versions till almost 2015 when the i20s started coming in. Maruti by the way was pretty much the only competitor most of the way. In the United States around the same time Hyundai was also considered a laughing stock too though more for its poor looks and because it had a reputation of breaking down stand up comedian Jay Leno apparently once joked that you could double the value of a Hyundai by filling it up with gas the turning point for Hyundai in America was a 10 year 100000 mile powertrain warranty several models followed for Hyundai like the Sonata which you may also remember from Indian roads and things changed Now let's cut to the present before coming up to speed on well electric and electric cars. Back to the United States. Hyundai's Ioniq 6 has been largely a hit even with critics. Gone are the days when people laughed at Hyundai's. Not only have they stopped laughing, they seem to rave about it now. At the New York Auto Show in April this year, Ioniq 6 was voted car of the year. Asked last year about competition in the EV sector or the electric vehicle sector, Ford Motor Chief Executive Jim Farley said The ones I am paying the most attention to are Hyundai, Kia, the Chinese, and Tesla. That's my list, reported the Wall Street Journal. Hyundai and Kia are considered siblings, and they got into electric in 2010 when Hyundai released the Blueon in Korea. The electric Kia Soul went on sale in the United States, Europe, and South Korea in 2014, and this was two years, by the way, before General Motors released its rival Chevy Bolt. Tesla first launched in 2006 on a small scale, though. Now interestingly Kia and Hyundai are priced pretty close to the Tesla in the $40,000 plus range and even in a market like India price does not seem to be a disadvantage for the Koreans. Features vary but a Kia EV6 goes head on with the BMW electric i4 in the 65 to 70 lakh rupee range. Now this would have been unbelievable even a few years ago. The Wall Street Journal describes the experience of a doctor customer from Portland, Maine who owned an Audi wanted to switch to an EV put himself on the waiting list for several including the Ford Mustang Mach-E and finally settled for the Hyundai's Ioniq 5 because he was apparently sold on the driving dynamics. Now Hyundai has been in India for the longest including in electric along with Kia, 
Toyota and Suzuki are now joined at the hip partly, at least to sell hybrids, and India's largest electric car maker is now Tata Motors with a close to 80% market share. All other companies, including the likes of a Volvo and the German car majors, have launched full-bred electric versions. So finally, before you ask me what has all this got to do with the price of onions, why indeed are we so excited about Tesla, a car I am not so sure most can afford? So two or three points as we try and break down what's an offer and what is not. Firstly, the electric car market is not what it was even a few years ago. And things have changed quite dramatically. So now let's come to India. Tesla's cars would start around 70 lakh rupees from what it appears today. If Tesla were to manufacture locally, prices would come down. But it's definitely not competing in the mid-segment, battery or no battery. And that's unlikely to sell beyond a few thousand cars in a year. Unless some iPhone-like fever grips buyers and they would want one no matter what. As a car manufacturing base, a Tesla investment is not likely to be very substantial because no one really thinks of India as a car export base, though that is what is being discussed. For that, by the way, Tesla is already grounded in China and is scouting all over Asia, including South Korea and Indonesia, Vietnam and Thailand, who are all vying for attention for electric vehicle and battery manufacture in general with billions of dollars and billions of dollars more than India has already committed or seen committed. On the other hand, a Tesla Gigafactory that makes batteries, units, power electronics, energy storage systems and parts is something India could see and benefit from and is aspiring for. So Tesla today has five Gigafactories in Nevada, United States, New York, United States, Shanghai, China, Berlin, Germany and Texas in the United States again. The term Gigafactory seems to be a little broadly applied, including manufacture of cars, particularly in centers like Shanghai and Berlin. So now the big question is, can India be the host for Tesla Gigafactory 6? It is very possible. But at this point, there are at least two more contenders going by industry chatter. One is South Korea and the second, Japan, apart from India or maybe sequentially all. I'm of course referring to Asia. Now, this is obviously big, but there are many other investments into India in the battery and automotive space also lining up. And there are too many to get into. And this is why I gave you a little bit of backstory on Hyundai and where they are today. Also remember, India's one big focus on the big project side is semiconductors with at least two big projects on the anvil. Now, the biggest attraction to Tesla, I feel, is mystique, mostly that of Elon Musk. After all, people liken Marvel hero Iron Man to Musk. No one thinks of the founder or son of the founder of Hyundai in the same vein. Shaking hands or greeting Elon Musk is something that most people, including heads of state, would want to do even if some don't like the way he runs Twitter. I for sure would like to interview him, maybe going back to his first principle approach to rocketry and cars. Not quite Twitter. So the larger question is, can a Tesla galvanize other investments into India? At this point, that is not quite clear to me. Unlike mobile phone manufacture, where Apple is a giant magnet in moving production around the world, including to India from China, all the other major automotive companies of the world are already in India or have already been here and run away, like Ford and General Motors. More importantly, they're all racing ahead in electric car manufacture. Even Elon Musk remarked that Hyundai was doing quite well in July last year when it emerged that Hyundai had captured a 9% market share in contrast to Tesla's 75% at that time. Now, the Gigafactory as a battery maker or other power systems can be a driver of sorts. So that will require 
as will many other investments, a very modern and reliable supply chain which is only now coming into place. One location for the Giga factory that's rumored is Tumkur in Karnataka, which generally makes sense given other infrastructure around the place, including, of course, in the automotive space. But that is a rumor. As far as facts go, Elon Musk did call himself a fan of Mr. Narendra Modi and said that India had more promise than any large country in the world. He, that's Mr. Modi, really cares about India because he's pushing us to make significant investments in India, which is something we intend to do. We're just trying to figure out the right timing, he told reporters. I am confident that Tesla will be in India and will do so as soon as humanly possible. Incidentally, commercial space also came up in the meeting between Prime Minister Modi and Elon Musk. And this is an area, particularly reusable rockets, India can surely benefit from and look forward to learning more about and of course implementing over time, considering that we have a space mission. Stock markets surge to all-time highs. Indian stock markets closed at record highs on Wednesday thanks to sustained flows from foreign investors. The 30-stock BSC benchmark Sensex hit a fresh all-time high of 63,588 before closing at 63,523, up 195 points in a rally led predominantly by banking, financial and information technology stocks. The previous high was 63,583, hit on December 1st, 2022. The broader NAC Nifty surged 40 points to end at 18,857, but not before hitting 18,875. The market capitalization of BSE-listed firms hit a fresh all-time high of 294.49 lakh crore rupees in Wednesday's morning trade. Now, more interestingly or significantly, the top five stocks that lifted the Sensex in this period were ITC, Tata Motors, Nestle India, Larsen and Tubro, and Ultratech Cement. ITC and Tata Motors were up 33% in this period from December, by the way. The others were much behind. You may recall my talking about ITC a day after its results, week before last, and the big bet valuation guru Aswad Damodran had taken on the stock in a conversation with me in 2020. Now, at the peak, the air thins out, and it can get a little lonely too. So how is it looking for the next few months? Remember, most institutional investors have been betting on strong earnings growth, powering the markets for the next year or two. Does that outlook still hold? Or are there some storm clouds, quite literally, on the horizon? I spoke with market veteran of many cycles, G. Chokalingam, founder of Equinomics Research, and began by asking him what he was looking at and out for. Yeah, till three weeks ago, I was extremely bullish on the market in the short term. I was hoping that uh, the rally would continue till November or rather uh, till the state's elections are held in place like MP and all. But last three weeks is really a cause of concern, particularly on monsoon side. On economic parameters, as I highlighted last time, uh, there are a lot of comfort except the goods exports and the FDI inflow which has decelerated. There are a whole list of uh, macro parameters which are turning favorable. But monsoon is a cause of concern because as of yesterday, deficit in the cumulative rainfall has been 33% as compared to long-term average. And then out of 36 uh, meteorological subdivisions, only 11 subdivisions have received normal or above normal rainfall. Of course, we do understand that agricultural sector accounts for only 18% of the GDP. Out of that 18%, also 5-6% is uh, fishery and forestry. 
and uh, in the balance also around uh, 12-13% you have a 4-5% irrigated land. So the impact of monsoon on the GDP will not be very big. It can be 50 basis point or 60 basis point. But what is worrying me is the sentiment, you know, then the inflation and then the rural demand, which is not doing so well. Many people have acknowledged on the rural demand. Now, sentiment is more important because today the market cap of all listed stocks on BSE is about 294 lakh crore. And 1% of is, uh, you know, around 3 lakh crore rupees. Half a percentage of the entire market cap is about 1.5 lakh crore. If there is a sentimental uh, setback due to the monsoon, people rush to sell even 0.5% of the total market cap. There is no opportunity in the market. So that's why we feel more even when the US had a problem or, you know, so this is my single most concern. So I would suggest uh, caution and uh, generating 5 to 10% uh, cash in the equity asset allocation. Right. Now, you know, in the last uh, month or so, many uh, analysts have put out reports basically focusing on earnings and pointing to earnings growth, particularly of those companies who are not affected either by exports or by uh, other factors to do with consumption demand, which is strong. What's your sense? Does that change? Certainly change, uh, because see, if you take a pockets of index, whether it's a large cap or a mid cap, small cap, you know, in this rally, many have lost the valuation comfort. So, you know, because the rally in the last two, three weeks, you know, individual sun is a phenomenon. So one is the valuation comfort. And second, you know, definitely, you know, there are many sectors which depend on rural segment, like FMCG, two-wheelers, even low end of cost, tractors. So obviously you have to account for all this. And secondly, you know, according to me, investing in equity market is both arts and science. And today, the role of fundamental is only 30-40%. 60% is more of perception. That's what creates a wealth and destroys the wealth. So the day that changes because of the sentimental impact of adverse uh, monsoon performance, earnings already has taken a backseat in the last 10 years. BSE took 145 years to create a 400 crore investor base. As I am speaking to you now, it's around three, th nearly 13.5 crore. In my sense is that uh, at least 9-10 crore are people are new people. And majority of them do not look at the valuation. They go all momentum in stocks only matters. So therefore, earning according to me is necessary, not sufficient. And it will take a backseat if there is any sentimental impact. Big tent in the market uh, due to poor monsoon. And if this poor monsoon continues, even for three weeks, it is going to create a major problem because your sowing season is already affected. Another three weeks, if it is delayed, it's going to be a terrible impact. You're saying that the sentiment impact is what we should worry more about. Earnings could drive valuations, but momentum is what matters more. And therefore, people will respond to momentum and not the intrinsic earning capability of a company, even if that is good through this difficult period. So let me ask you the flip question, uh, Choka. What if the monsoons were to arrive any day now? I mean, we are seeing irregular patterns in rainfall in any case. And things even out in the next three, four weeks. It will be a phenomenal. Till November, we can expect another 10% rally in the market. The market cap, which is 295 lakh crore, it can become even 350 lakh crore. Very much possible. Because what happened, as I mentioned, every week, minimum 5 lakh new investors are coming into the market. And this is a trend for the last two years, almost consistently. So what was lacking was the confidence. But there were investors, but the lack of confidence. That's what we saw in March meltdown in the many small and mid-caps. Now, as you are wishing, and that is also my wish, because all of us will be impacted. 
if rainfall turns out to be good till november there is nothing to worry the market will be fantastic the only concern whether there is any possible war in taiwan or any other part of uh, asia otherwise till the major states go for elections uh, i think the rally will continue it will be a, one of the best rallies which we can ever imagine right and uh, like always maybe we can hope that we end up in a situation that is somewhere in between it's neither a bad one or too good one okay choka thank you so much for joining me my pleasure airlines go on a buying spree what's next in the last two days two airlines indigo and air india have cemented or freshly ordered close to 1000 aircraft including the latest lot of 500 a320s indigo now has a total of 1330 airbus a320 aircraft on order other airlines are also ordering aircraft though in smaller numbers Vistara which is effectively Air India is also ordering about 10 aircraft so is Akasa Airlines and so on but the bigger question is with so many aircraft lining up to land in India where do things stand at least looking at the next 6 7 years because who knows about life beyond that more specifically where do we stand on capacity in terms of airport infrastructure and where do we stand more importantly on projected demand for all of this in India To discuss this I spoke with Kapil Kaul CEO of airline consulting and research firm Kappa India I began by asking him how he saw these big orders playing out on Indian skies as and when the aircraft begin to arrive Okay so first of all um the uh, order book of Indigo currently stands at roughly about closer to 990 aircrafts 500 that they have signed a couple of days back and prior to that their outstanding order was roughly around 490 so you can roughly say they close to 1000 aircrafts in order for them air india's 470 akaksa has about 54 odd aircrafts they have ordered four more so roughly i think our fleet on order is about 1500 plus i am not counting the goer order i am not counting the spicejet order we treat them under suspension for reasons that is you are aware so roughly we have about 1500 aircraft order for indigo this 1000 aircraft order is going to take them right up to fi35 so um, that's number one air india order is roughly i would say that they may need to do a follow up order in couple of years because out of the current 470 aircraft couple of 100 aircrafts will be for replacement so they would need to order more but 470 would take them right up to fi30 and akaksa is going to possibly till next couple of years and then they will order again by the end of this year so i think out of these 1500 aircraft most of them are not going to come in the next 5 7 years uh, some of them are for replacement both at air india and indigo at air india for example is ordering 10777x and 40a350 yes so they say have multiple wide body aircraft narrow body are between 320 family and 737 family so what we are expecting out of the next um, let's say 5 to 6 years we're expecting the aircraft fleet size from current closer to 700 it's probably 684 now to go up to about closer to 1400 so we are expecting about 700 aircraft order to come in that now takes us to do we have the infrastructure in place the metro infrastructure is more or less in place uh, you would have roughly about 100 million plus capacity available currently immediately and the structural capacity at the metro airports is in excess of 500 million and i am not counting the chennai 
Greenfield Airport into it. But minus that, we are roughly around 500 million structural capacity to the metro airports. You add Adani airports, they will touch roughly about, my assessment, 175 to 200 million. So overall, I think next five, seven years, we have adequate capacity, though you will still see the peaks and super peak slots getting constrained at metro airports. But broadly, I think the metros and the Adani airports will have capacity for the next five, seven years. The challenge would be at the Airport Authority of India airports, whether they have the adequate capacity to take care of this growth. So capacity-wise, we are more or less okay. As for demand is concerned, we expect the demand to be in line to accommodate these 700 planes. To answer your question, the aircraft uh, size of India will move from 700 to 1400, roughly it closes, so they'll double in by FY30 end, that's our projections. We would expect the demand to be 15% plus CAGR, both domestic and international. The capacity at our Indian airports is sufficient at Metro and the Adani airports. And the structural capacity of the metro airports is in excess of 500 million. The challenge would be at non-metro airports of AI. Broadly, I think we seem to be fine as far infrastructure is concerned. Uh, we seem to be aligned as far the demand is concerned. We seem to be aligned that the two main airlines will have majority of this order book is from the main airlines. They have the balance sheet, ability to invest more cash, intellectual capital to, to go through this massive transition. Uh, so we seem to be in order as for the uh, the current status is concerned. And the non-metro airports, do you have a number, for example, which would suggest how much traffic could potentially go to these non-metro airports or smaller airports, which are coming up and more of them are coming up and where the capacity constraints could be? I think the capacity constraint would be with Airport Authority of India airports. And I would we would expect that 50% plus of the traffic would move to non-metro airports. The concerns would be there at the AI airports, whether they can, they have the enough infrastructure slots to be able to accommodate this traffic. Even for FI winter summer schedule of FI23, uh, the challenges with respect to the slots at the Airports Authority of India airports were visible. But overall, I think um, minus the AI airports, I think we seem to be in place to manage the uh, growth up to FI30 or possibly beyond. Right. And last question. So this is the this is the positive projection. I mean, for some reason, if things don't go this way, what happens then? Well, um, the challenge primarily would be that there are other challenges that the airlines would face, which are pilot-related challenges, people-related challenges. Managing this transition from 700 to 1400 in a relatively shorter period of time. So those challenges would remain. The challenges of how the market would behave are we going to see any any major economic challenges which will put pressure on them, excluding those challenges? I think we are good for the next five, seven years. And I say it going because of two reasons. We have a strong, stable airline system after a very long time. Two principal airlines have 85% market share. They have 1,000 aircrafts, almost about 1,500 aircrafts between them. Air India is investing a few billion dollars into Air India's restructuring and turnaround. Indigo has about 12,000 crores of free cash, overall more than 20,000 crores of cash, and they have the ability to raise more capital. So I think we are fundamentally in a very positive spot after a long time, largely driven because the concentration is with these two carriers. I think it's an optimistic note to end on. Thank you so much, Kapil, for joining us. Thank you very much, Gore. Thank you.
Some real estate news. If you are house hunting, maybe you need to hunt faster because the market is evidently going to be buzzing this year too. Residential real estate across the top cities of India, Mumbai, Delhi, NCR, Bangalore, Pune, Kolkata and Hyderabad are expected to clock about 8-10% to 10% sales growth this fiscal year. That's this year, according to a report by rating agency Crystal. By the way, as we spoke in an earlier episode, housing prices across the top eight cities in India increased 8% year-on-year thanks to strong housing demand supplemented by what the construction industry claims is consistent quality launches by top developers. Now, the highest rate increase, just to remind you, in residential prices was in Delhi at 16%, followed by Kolkata at 15% and Bangalore at 14%. Mumbai is the only city where prices did not go up and actually went down in the last year. But then rates here are an average square feet price of 19,219, almost double of the next highest city in India. And some sad news, Sylvester Dacuna, best known as the creator of the iconic Amul Girl, is no more. The Amul Girl made her debut in 1966 wearing a frock with red polka dots paired with matching ribbons and red shoes. Legend has it that Amul Butter's tagline was just purely the best. But Dacuna's wife Nisha added utterly Amul and then he added butterly to make it utterly butterly Amul. Jain Mehta, Managing Director of the Gujarat Cooperative Milk Marketing Federation and owner of the Amul brand, put out a message expressing grief, saying the Amul family joins in mourning this sad loss. That's it from me. Have a great day ahead. Do share this podcast if you like it with friends and family and write in with any feedback on govindraj at thecore.in. Thanks again. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>